Welcome to the Cosmosphere Podcast, Episode 6, Revitalization. I'm your host, John Mulnix, and I'm a volunteer here at the Cosmosphere. You can catch me on this monthly podcast and also on my daily podcast, The Space Shot. We would love if you could leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can help spread the word about the incredible work that's done at the museum simply by leaving a review for the podcast. On the first Wednesday of every month, we dive into a new topic. This month, I sat down with Mimi Meredith and Jim Remar to discuss the revitalization campaign and how the Cosmosphere acquired some of the world-class artifacts that are on display there now. We'll also hear from Carla Stanfield about what's happening at the Cosmosphere in March and April, since it's spring break here in the United States. We're starting today's episode with the first part of my conversation with Jim Remar. Let's dive right in. Today I'm talking with Jim Remar, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Cosmosphere. Jim, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, John. My pleasure. So since we spoke last, there's been some work done on the Moker consoles. Can you give us an update on that process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right now, you know, a lot of what we're doing is laying groundwork and, and you know, setting the stage um, for uh, the later part of the, the process. Um, right now, the guys uh, have been doing a lot of research on the actual switches and buttons um, to ensure that what we have or what we are going to um, replicate will be um, authentic. And so we've, we've put things in in place started to purchase um, switches in many cases we've been able to trace uh, the the switch back to its original uh, manufacturer and so that's that's proven to to have been a, a worthwhile process and then we've been lining up uh, vendors to do some production work um, so really kind of putting things in in motion and my guess is we're probably a couple weeks um, from first disassembly of the console. Okay. Um, but once uh, once that takes place, then then we'll get rolling. That sounds awesome. So next time I'm out, I, I'm going to have to swing by and check in on everything. Absolutely. <laughs> so today's topic, we're, we're going more historical focused this month. Um, let's talk about the collection at the Cosmosphere. I mean, sure. we, we've talked about specific artifacts before in the past, but can you talk about how the Cosmosphere got some of the most iconic artifacts in the collection? Yeah, absolutely. The acquisition of the artifacts is is really a pretty fascinating story. Um, there there have been multiple phases uh, of acquisition, and it really started with uh, the the Cosmosphere's first uh, CEO, Max Airy, and his vision for the space museum and, and really knowing what he wanted to see on display. Um, the, the, the cosmosphere was 
at the right place at the right time with the right person with the right connections, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, in, in 1980, the late, well, the late 70s, early 80s, um, as Apollo Soyuz had ended and NASA was moving on to shuttle, um, there was a lack of, of a, a systematic disposition of, of the property. Um, that changed when shuttle came offline and that process was, was very systematic, but move from Apollo to shuttle, um, was literally done without any thought given to the preservation for the artifacts or the archives of the early manned spaceflight. And so there were literally hundreds, if not thousands of warehouses um, across the country belonging to the various NASA contractors um, that had what we would call artifacts, what they would consider excess hardware. And so Max um, was was working with NASA and the Smithsonian uh, to determine the best means of of trying to get uh, these artifacts to institutions that could share them with the public. And Smithsonian by law has right of first refusal. And so they, you know, they got the Apollo 11s and and all the flown spacecraft um, went to them, but there were still, there were still thousands of artifacts um, that that didn't have a home. And at that point in time, there weren't many competing interests. And so literally almost overnight, um, NASA and the Smithsonian agreed to send, um, you know, somewhere in the, in the ballpark of three to 4,000 artifacts from the early manned space program to the cosmosphere. Um, you know, these were, flown artifacts, um, fl- uh, training artifacts, engineering mock-ups from Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo. And so that was really the first major influx uh, of artifacts. And so then as, as the Cosmosphere began to plan its, its museum, and at this time it was, it was specifically uh, American space exploration. It, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't the, the collection that it is today. Um, the Cosmosphere began to think about what other major artifacts um, it, it potentially would want to display. And, and they early on identified wanting a Mercury, a Gemini, and Apollo. And so Max began the process uh, to try and acquire those. And what was true then um, was that the only Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo spacecrafts that were available um, were Liberty Bell 7, because it was at the bottom of the ocean, (laughs) Apollo 13, which at the time was in France, and then uh, Gemini 10, which um, I believe was either in Norway or Sweden. Um, And so he began the process of, of... getting those, uh, and all three, uh, excuse me, um, NASA uh, still owned Liberty Bell, and then the Smithsonian uh, owns uh, Apollo 13 and Gemini 10. Kind of tuck that in the back of your mind, and then I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Sure. So, so the Cosmosphere continued to work with NASA and the Smithsonian uh, to get artifacts, whether um on loan or uh, acquired outright to to 
display here. Um, we also began to develop a, a relationship with, at the time, was the uh, U.S. Air Force Museum. Today, they're the, the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force um, because of the role that the Air Force played in the space program. The Cosmosphere was also one of the few entities that took advantage of um, artifact disposition through federal surplus. So when NASA is is done using an object, it's it's expanded its its useful life. That artifact is is always offered to the Smithsonian first. Um, most of the time, the Smithsonian um, will refuse because they already have an example in their in the national collection. At that time, there were very few additional competing interests for these artifacts. And once the, once the Smithsonian refused, they were sent through, uh, it, it's a process for the, the GAO General Accounting Office, and it enters um, a, a database through the state federal surplus. And so working with our federal surplus property officer in Topeka, um, we would routinely search the database um, for prime artifacts. And the how, how that works is is it, you you request an artifact, your your state surplus officer puts that request in and then the artifact is released and then the requesting entity pays one half of one percent of the original cost. Um, so for a fraction of the original cost, a museum could acquire uh, significant artifacts. And at yeah. the time, Cosmosphere was really one of the only players that that was utilizing this. Um, hmm. Now, today, how it works is Smithsonian has right of first refusal. Then it's offered to the various NASA visitor centers, so Space Center Houston, Kennedy Space Center. And then after that, then it is made available to all of the museum and education entities like the Cosmosphere. And a lot more organizations like the cause are taking advantage of that. And so there's there's an enormous amount of competition, much more so um, than, you know, was the case 15 years ago. So, you know, as we as we went along um, and, and built up our collection of U.S. artifacts, the Cosmosphere made a, a decision that it wanted to be in a position to tell uh, the story of, of the U.S. and Russian race to the moon. So we wanted to be the place to tell the story of the space race. We'll rejoin Jim later in the episode. Now it's time to talk with Mimi Meredith about the revitalization campaign that's underway here at the Cosmosphere. On a personal note, I've been coming to the museum since I was about four or five years old. One of the reasons I volunteer at the Cosmosphere is because I believe it's one of the finest museums and science centers in the country. The collection of space artifacts and spacecraft is incredible, and I'm looking forward to seeing the museum revitalized. As a kid, I never got to take part in the space camps, unfortunately, due to a crazy hockey schedule, but I am going to be doing the adult space camp, as you'll hear Mimi and I discuss in this episode. Let's talk with Mimi for some more. Mimi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, John. 
So the Cosmosphere has been in its present form for a while now. Can you talk about you know where the museum's at now and where you see the museum going once the campaign is underway? Sure. The museum hasn't changed a lot since I believe the last update was about 2004. The biggest update was in 1997 when the SR-71 Blackbird was positioned in the lobby and the building expanded to enclose that. A lot was done then. And there have been um, minor updates as recently as 2004, but that was a long time ago. And anyone who visits the museum probably notices that we rely heavily on text. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, John. There are thousands and thousands of words to describe every gallery. And they are wonderful, informative words. But that does several things. It relies heavily on backlit displays. So for people who haven't been to the Cosmosphere, imagine a glorious artifact and in front of it or around it, many backlit panels. Mm -hmm. And those panels have faded over the years because behind those panels are fluorescent tubes. And this was great technology in 1997. This was, this was leading edge museum design. Yeah. (laughs) And now we understand several things about that. Um, If you've ever been lost in the Cosmosphere, raise your hand and everybody who's been here would have to raise their hand because our museum has a layout um, that is somewhat confusing. And that is because all of those walls that um, create the maze-like environment that we have are there because they house the lighting for our backlit displays. So by eliminating that, we can change the whole museum experience. So that's one thing. We need... We need the update for that reason. We also know that relying on the written word does several things to inhibit museum interaction. If you are um, a young child who's a space enthusiast, but you're not yet uh, a prolific reader, you would have a hard time in the Cosmosphere having, right, it's hard to keep your attention if you're not, and I mean, you need to love to read. Yep. (laughs) Another thing is if you come in and you have an hour, it's difficult to get much of a sense of highlights coming through all of that text. And Mm -hmm. so we not only limit the, the display understanding or the gallery understanding based on reading level, but also on time. And then there's the fact that when people go to museums today, there are generally hands-on activities. There are fully immersive displays. People want to push a button and make something happen. And that's not bad. Um, in many ways, that is an, another learning style entirely. And right now, we are talking to only one learning style. So in order to serve more people in more ways and bring them the amazing story that truly, I'm not just saying this because I'm in marketing. There is no <laughs> other place like the Cosmosphere. We are the only place in the world where you will see the story of the race to space unfold the way it does, where mm-hmm. you can walk along and to your left, see everything about the Soviet era and the artifacts, the, the real artifacts 
from yeah. that era and the U.S. on the right. And you can compare and contrast not just the technology, but the culture and the communication styles and all that. So in order to make that story more compelling to more people, we've got to change. And that's the, that's the fundamental principle behind revitalization. Well, and I, I've been coming to the museum now for a long time. And, you know, as a little kid, I would definitely agree with a lot of the reading. I love to read and there's a lot of text in there. So being able to expand the, you know, the, the collection in a way that is more accessible, I think is a, is a really cool goal. So I'm looking forward to seeing where that's going. Can you talk a little bit about you know, is the, the Hall of Space, you get that kind of chronological walk through. What what does revitalization look like for how the museum's going to be laid out? Sure, it's still going to tell the story chronologically. You will have to choose at one point um, to deviate to understand shuttle era because okay. uh, they're one of our largest artifacts is um, the po- Apollo Soyuz. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it, John, and you can imagine oh, yeah. you're not going to move that easily, right? No. So it's in a perfect. It's in a. It's in a place that was designed for it, so it's going to stay there. What you will be able to do is, as you're walking through along the timeline, beginning with rocketry, as you're going through, you'll be able to see everything else. So if you want to deviate and go from rocketry to Apollo, you can, and you can still find your way out. (laughs) So (laughs) it'll be a beautiful thing. But most important is that along the way, for the people who love to read, and as you were saying, from an early age, that was you, we'll still have areas of each gallery that will um, enable people to drill down farther for information. Um, In fact, we'll be able to share information we can't Right now, we have wonderful audio files and video files that supplement the learning for several of our our artifacts. And so those will be available in media tables. And um, so you could come with an hour and make your way through along the timeline, just as it is now, or you could come and spend two days doing research. That sounds really cool. I, I'm looking forward to seeing um, a, a richer experience than it is now, just with those those limited backlit panels. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. What can people do to get involved to help the Cosmosphere out with this? Well, I want to tell you, um, there's another element of revitalization I don't want to miss talking about. Do you mind if I interject that? Sure. So when yeah, we're talking oh, no, about, please do. We're talking about who can be involved and how. It goes back to the comprehensive assessment that led to revitalization took place in 2013 and 2014. And a group of stakeholders realized that the Cosmosphere is this great museum of which we've spoken. Uh, Yet one of the things that it does best with that collection is educate. And we have from somewhat objective sources. I suppose they were consultants who we were paying. So I don't know if that that eliminates objectivity, but the research that was done as part of the revitalization task force revealed that we have the best camp experiences in the nation for aerospace camps. We know that we have some of the best education curriculum 
And we needed to lead with that rather than saying, this is a great space museum and we have these neat summer programs and education experiences too. So we flipped everything around. We've done rebranding. We've done this great um, discernment process that led us to uh, make sure that education and how every single thing we were doing could educate, we lead with that as our priority. So as part of that, one of the first um, big uh, uh, overhauls that we're doing is the education wing. And right okay. now it is under construction. We've done, let me say we've done, at part of revitalization has included the main floor elements that we could do one thing at a time. Justice Planetarium yeah. was first. Dr. Goddard's lab was second. And if you haven't been to Dr. Goddard's lab show in the newly renovated space, you are missing something spectacular. I haven't had a chance yet. So next time I'm out, I, it's it's on the list. John, <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I know. And the cool thing is when Dr. Goddard's lab was renovated, it was renovated not only to be in the era of Dr. Goddard and to look just like his laboratory, but it's got great technology in it now that allows us to simulcast experiences from Dr. Goddard's lab to classrooms anywhere in the world. Okay, so that's really cool. It is really cool. And then our cafe, I don't know if you've been back since that's been done, but our cafe is completely um, renovated. So new air handling, everything. It's a beautiful, light, modern feeling space now. And our food offerings have, have expanded a bit there too. So that's been fun. And then, so all that was done, right? As yeah. part of revitalization. And the next thing has been our education wing and uh, camp at the Cosmosphere has, um, for the most camps, they've centered around a mission experience. And mission control hadn't been updated since, oh gosh, the late 90s. Okay. <laughs> so what's really cool is we are updating it with a mission control console that will be comprised of historic mission control consoles from Very mission cool. control. Yet the experience that the campers will be participating in can reflect modern day mission control experiences, just as if they were on a team at um, Jet Propulsion Laboratories or SpaceX, because all of the technology reflected will be current. So it's a perfect blend of history and uh, uh, acknowledgement of the teamwork and the critical thinking and all the skills that are really wrapped up into those historic mission control consoles. I think of the problems that have been solved there that make my problems of any given day pale in comparison, right? I haven't, exactly. I've not had to save anyone <laughs> yet trapped in space. But anyway, the, the lessons can reflect Apollo era, they can reflect current, they could be futuristic. We are gonna be able to do so much more with our education area, it's just getting a tremendous, tremendous facelift and programmatic lift and structural lift all through um, some grants that we have received as part of the revitaliz revitalization campaign. So we're really excited about that. I definitely want to come out now <laughs> for oh, camp. <laughs> gosh, I can't believe you haven't been to adult camp, John. I, you are like it's poster on the, child. I know it's it's on the list. It's in August, right? Yes, all of your okay. listeners. 
need to just they should join you. You should have a fun camp with John. I think and that would be great. <laughs> yeah. People don't realize. And now um, because of the fact that Tracy Tommy, who's our amazing COO and vice president of education, when Tracy came on board, mm-hmm. not only did the education um, for students take a bold new direction into things that are really stimulating, but our adult camp got a lot cooler. And you start out now with wine, cheese and stargazing. That works. <laughs> I'm just here to shout. I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually uh, got my vacation requests in, and uh, August is it's in the books pretty much now. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. What, what's the timeline looking like for the revitalization then? Or sure. For completing it, as, as I should uh, clarify there. Right. You know, I don't. I don't want to say for certain, but I feel like we could follow this timeline if the gifts align that I think can. And revitalization started out, out of the chute, $3 million was raised fairly easily. Um, Sometimes in development, we call that low-hanging fruit. And generally, you wait to harvest that low-hanging fruit until you have lead gifts in hand. And the Mm -hmm. Cosmosphere's development effort at that time, just it was all well-intentioned, but we hadn't gone to the people who could make um, really significant major gifts and helped them understand exactly what I'm explaining to you um, about the impact of this. Because truly, yeah. this reaches, as you know, it reaches the world. It's Yes, the Cosmosphere is in Hutchinson, Kansas, and certainly a lot of the students who come do come from the region, but campers come from every state in the nation and countries around the world and visitors absolutely come from around the world because of our collection. Mm-hmm. In that sense, <laughs> it's time for the fundraising effort and the funds that support revitalization or any other major initiative at the Cosmosphere. It's time for that donor base to expand because we've never asked before now, we've never asked anybody beyond Hutchinson and Wichita, a little bit in Wichita, for help. And past efforts, we we did get some support for that large expansion I was talking about that occurred in 2004, or that was the last update. That that was helped through some federal money that Bob Dole was able to channel to Hutchinson at the time, but that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And so it's time for some folks who appreciate the type of thing we do to step up. So, and some of them are. And I think if that happens, then the following timeline can take place. How is that for a caveat? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I will get. Yeah, I I promise I'm going to answer the question. So, we believe that if in the next six months we can raise an additional 1.4 million dollars, that the education wing can be completely done. So not only will mission control be redone, but the entire education experience will be upgraded. And in that upgrade and any former campers who are listening or any scouts that have come to programs or any school overnight, they're going to be so excited when they hear this because that upgrade will include restrooms on the second floor. (laughs) I mean, it's incredible the number of people that we have in this building who 
when there's an urgent need, have to go thundering yep. <laughs> down two flights of stairs to get to the nearest restroom. So that's going to be pretty exciting. And I have to admit, no since the administrative offices are located on the second level, we're pretty excited <laughs> about that too. So that's when that's just that is as near as this fall of 2018. Okay. If we get that 1.4 million level, then if we can raise an additional four million. By the fall of 2019, we can begin the Hall of Space, and okay. that's exciting. And to me, that seems Absolutely. very doable. Um, again, it will take some major donors stepping up, and then we're just getting ready to launch our big grassroots effort through um, crowdfunding. Have you heard about crowdfunding? I have. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> cool. We're going to be doing it. And we're going to have uh, two really neat approaches. We'll have some platforms that are available consistently. And then we'll also have some giving days. So um, I'm pretty excited about that. We just sent out a mailer that thus far has raised nearly $30,000 from people, um, both former donors, but also from people who didn't even know about the Cosmosphere. So that's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. And so we're sort of just now telling the general public, hey, come be a spark at the Cosmosphere. Come come inspire wonder. And we haven't really told the public that story before. So we'll see what happens. The work that's been done there and the, the museum itself as it is now, it's something that I think will speak to people all around the world. So, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this be successfully completed over the next couple of years. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the transformation. Well, thank you. We are too. It's, it's a privilege to get to be a part of this place every day and then to be part of this. I love this leadership team and to be part of taking it into the future is thrilling. And so that's what donors can do. Donors can be a part of something unlike anything else in the world. I mean, it's it's incredible the 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 stories that are told by the artifacts that are at the Cosmosphere. So, I'm really excited to to see where where the revitalization goes. So, uh, Mimi, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, John, and um, thanks for spreading the good word. And any listeners out there who haven't been, please stop by and see us this summer. Definitely. And I'll make sure um, we get the link in the show notes to uh, any of the giving pages that are up right now. And to adult space camp so that you can make more friends at space (laughs) camp, John. Definitely. That sounds great to me. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Before we go today, let's get an overview of what's up at the Cosmosphere this month with Carla Stanfield. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, John. I'm glad to be back. So can you give us a preview of what's going to be going on? I kind of forgot about this because it's been a while since I've been in school, but spring break is coming up apparently for everybody. So talk to us about some plans uh, that the Cosmosphere has for that. Yeah, actually, spring break is one of our busiest times of year. It's when we get a lot of -of out-of-town visitors through our doors. So we are doing some fun activities actually over the course of three weeks. We begin on the 12th and we go to the end of the month. And our theme this year is the science of music. So come to the Cosmosphere, learn all about music, how sound is made, how different instruments make sounds. You'll hear live music performances throughout the month, dance performances. Those are all happening in our grand lobby. And then there will be other things... um, 
that uh, will give you more of a taste of Cosmosphere Camp. So things like tours of the museum, solar observing, um, drone activities and robotics activities. So it's kind of a little bit of everything. That sounds really cool. You know, it's not just March that's going to be incredibly busy. April is also going to be busy too. So talk to us a little bit about what's what's going to be up after March. Yes, yeah, so we have um, a pretty exciting guest coming in April to Hutchinson. Captain Scott Kelly is going to be a presenter with the Dylan Lecture Series Um it's a presentation series held by the Hutchinson Community College, and the Cosmosphere is partnering on this particular um, event with Captain Kelly. So that is on April 17th at 1030 in the morning over at the sports arena. Um, we do have tickets at our box office. General admission are $10, and you can call in to our box office at 800 800- Three nine seven zero three three zero extension three four seven and purchase those and we'll get them out to you. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to coming out for that. So it'll be really cool to be able to see him speak in Hutchinson. Um, I've yet to be uh, I've yet to go to that arena and I've heard really good things about it. So it should be a really cool venue for that. Yeah, it's it's. Um, sort of unlimited seating they say that i mean it's about six thousand capacity really so we're great. hoping to fill it up for captain kelly <laughs> That'd um, be awesome and it was just redone in the last year so great venue for that brand new space yeah so is there anything else that we need to know for the cosmosphere in march or april I think the last thing, John, would just be that we are enrolling for our Cosmosphere Aerospace Camps already. Uh, You can do that on our website. And there is also opportunity for scholarships. So if if this is something you're interested in or you know a kiddo that's interested but need a little financial help, check out the scholarships or give Lori over in our education department a call. That sounds great. And I'll make sure to get those links in the show notes. Carla. Thank you, John. Not a problem, Carla. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you soon. Like Carla mentioned, there's some awesome educational programs available at the Cosmosphere over spring break, so you should drop by if you're going to be in Kansas over your spring break. Now, let's jump back into our conversation with Jim Remar. We left off with Jim discussing how the Cosmosphere is able to tell the story of the space race, and with that in mind... Let's pick up that conversation. And so Cosmosphere began to develop relationships um, with the former Soviet Union at that time and and, uh, Energia and Zvezda, the the entities that that ran the Russian space program. And through uh, various um, relationships, the Cosmosphere uh, was able to um, broker uh, some opportunities to where it, it purchased outright um, a lot of former Soviet space artifacts. Um, You know, this was at a time, this would have been in the the early 90s when the the former Soviet economy was in a state of disarray and cash was king. And so, you know, not only was Cosmosphere benefiting, I mean, American businesses in general, but the Cosmosphere was able to acquire um, a significant number of of Soviet-related artifacts, um, which then began to um, 
fulfill the objective of telling that that story. So fast forward then to the acquisition of of our flagship pieces, Apollo 13, Liberty Bell, and, and Gemini 10. Cosmosphere obviously had made its um, request to the Smithsonian. Uh, it was known that, that the Cosmosphere wanted um, these spacecraft. So the Smithsonian, NASA, and the State Department began to work to get Apollo 13 uh, from France back over to the United States, um, which it did. And Apollo 13 was then sent to the Cosmosphere for restoration. And our craftsmen put oh, probably 80 to 85% of the original hardware back into the spacecraft. And, and because of those efforts and, and our relationship with the Smithsonian, they uh, put Apollo 13 on on loan to us. So um, craft number one was was achieved. Max and then a gentleman by the name of, of Kurt Newport and, and Kurt is uh, a deep sea um, recovery expert uh, began to develop a plan to to find and retrieve Liberty Bell. Um, by 1999 uh, they were able to find funding through the Discovery Channel uh, to make that happen. Um, so Kurt Newport and an uh, outfit called Oceaneering, um, which is a, a deep sea recovery uh, outfit, set out to find and, and recover Liberty Bell, which, which they were successful. Uh, then that spacecraft was also brought to uh, the Cosmosphere, and the Cosmosphere self-funded um, the restoration of that spacecraft. And because of our efforts with the recovery and the restoration, both the Smithsonian and NASA uh, signed the title of that spacecraft over to the Cosmosphere. Um, so that is the only manned, flown, early American spacecraft to be owned by an entity outside of, of NASA or the Smithsonian. So spacecraft number two is now acquired. <laughs> Um, again, working uh, with Smithsonian, NASA, and the State Department, um, Gemini 10 uh, was ultimately brought back over to the States and then brought to the Cosmosphere um, where it resides. So over a, a period of you know 20 plus years, the Cosmosphere worked uh, to acquire the, the three anchor pieces um, to its collection. And then by, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s with, with an expansion, um, the organization was in a position to develop the exhibits that detail uh, the space race unlike any museum in the world. And that's why everybody needs to come out and visit here. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's, that's a crazy, just, you know, just collecting over the years. And I remember seeing Apollo 13 as it was being, um, you know, cleaned up and restored. And it's incredible how museums, you know, evolve kind of organically over the years. And being able to see those artifacts come into the museum has been a really cool experience over the years. So thanks for giving us that that history on all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about where that's gonna lead for I, mean, I spoke with Mimi a little bit and her uh, her interviews in this episode as well. But just talking about, you know, generally about the restoration or about the uh, revitalization. Yeah. Where do you see that going? Well, it, revitalization um, 
for, for us is, is a major undertaking, major project. Um, for various reasons, the Cosmosphere has, has seen a decline in attendance and participation. Um, in our opinion, part of that is because of the static display of our exhibits. Um, There's been a paradigm shift in the museum industry going from kind of the traditional uh, static display with text um, to a more engaging, immersive environment. Um, And and the Cosmosphere was was not... um, at the forefront at that time of, of embracing that shift. And so for us, revitalization is, is an objective to a provide new ways of, of displaying the artifacts, but, but more importantly is a way to cater to the desire of, of today's audience, you know, especially children. Today's audience wants to be emerged. They want to be engaged. They want to be hands-on or participatory. And so for us, revitalization is redoing the entire museum and, and not, not the story, but the way we present the story. Um, we want to, present the space race um, in, a, in a manner that the visitor can really focus as little or as much on the subject as they want. They, they, the visitor is the one who controls their, their time spent in the museum. Yeah. And we want to do it in a manner that allows them to, to not only see the artifact, to learn about the artifact, but to also through an interactives participate and understand how that artifact functioned or, or what principles were achieved or, or, you know, how something uh, performed. You know, a lot of times you go to a museum and, and they have interactives and that's, you know, pushing a button or, or turning a crank. These, these interactives teach about, what the artifact is and how it worked, but they also tie into our education programs into our Dr. Goddard's lab um, and reinforce what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, and, and so it's, it, the museum itself is, is a tremendous museum with tremendous artifacts, but often our artifacts get lost with the, the backlit graphics, the, the yeah. heavy text and, and copy. We want to remove some of that and allow the, the artifact to stand on its own, to, to tell its story and to allow the, the visitor to appreciate the artifact. If, if their takeaway was, you know, a lot of text, um, then, then we haven't done our job. The other thing is, is we want to present the story in a manner that if you have 15 minutes, you can take something away, or if you have two hours, you can do the same. You know, right now, if you want to learn something, you really have to search and dig through the copy um, to find something out. So we're going to create a, um, a hierarchy and a system of, of presenting the story um, that the visitor can spend as much or as, as little time as they want. So it's it's breathing new life into the museum. It's 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 bringing it into to present day and and really relating it to a, a new audience. Now, and being able to retell those stories in a manner that you know is applicable to modern audiences is something that I find really interesting. So being able to see the transformation that the Cosmosphere is undergoing is is something I'm excited to watch and 
I hope that we're, you know, we're able to share those stories with as many people as possible. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other, the other, um, point as it relates to, to the story is, um, in my opinion, we're, we're at a new phase in space exploration with a new story that, that is, is currently being written and yet to be written. And that's with the commercial and private side of things. And so, you know, much like the cosmosphere was in a position to acquire artifacts and, and be in a place to tell the story of the space race, we've got to do the same with, with these, these current and future stories as well. So um, that will be a, a part of our um, initiative and strategy going forward. Well, Jim, thank you for joining us again today. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you next time I'm out at the museum. Likewise, look forward uh, to, to your visit. And as always, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Cosmosphere podcast. Make sure you share and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on iTunes Reviews are critical to the success of podcasts, so we'd appreciate if you could take just a minute to leave a rating or review. They help even more people find out about the podcast and the museum, so help us spread the news. Head to Cosmo.org to become a member and to find out more information about the world-class education programs that are available for students and even adults. For the Cosmosphere, I'm John Molnix.